garbage people choose to say in life. Stuff happens and there's no way. Words have the power to change how we feel. They can hurt, they can heal. Words like these set me free. What I seek is seeking me. Life's a journey, not a race. What is mine will know my face. I can live each day, let it be. What is mine will find me. Live each day, let it be. What is mine will find me. Shakespeare said, to thine own self be true. Easy for him to say, but so hard for us to do. Tells us how to succeed, how to get along, so we can live and learn, pass it on. Words like these set me free. What I seek is seeking me. Life's a journey, not a race. What is mine will know. Okay, that was awesome. So, in the beginning there was golf and it was good. I'm sure you've heard that sermon many times. But, as a matter of fact, I've thought to ask myself, what kind of crazy person would decide to base his entire sermon on golf? That would be me. I would do that. But, you see, golf is, is in my view, a, a really great metaphor for life. Because among other things, golf is an individual sport, and life is an individual sport as well. Now, we also, in life, don't really know who's speaking to us. We think we're in charge, we think we're self-contained, but we have all these strange voices in the back that are actually driving the bus. And sometimes that occurs in golf because we get afraid, we get in fear, we don't know what to do, we don't have the confidence we need so golf is a great metaphor for, for life. So <clears throat> what happened here, actually, as I was preparing this, is that a series of maybe downloads, but just sort of things kept running through my mind that I wrote down. And I'm going to share those with you directly 
because I'm not sure they're fully for me. They're from within me somewhere. And then we're going to talk a little bit more about that. So I believe that, again, as I said, that golf is a great metaphor, but it's also a great mirror for life. So the first thing I wrote down was golf is about taking responsibility for our actions, our attitude, our decisions, and our emotions. If you don't think life is about that, then you're on the wrong planet. So golf teaches us to set intentions, concentrate, focus on our goal, let go of fear, and execute our shot to the best of our ability. But how many times in our lives do we allow fear to interfere with what we want to accomplish? It's a routine thing in our lives. We're ready to go, we're ready, we think we're committed, we might even have an intention, but we don't follow through with it. We step back, usually because we think we're in fear or we don't think we're good enough. Pretty commonplace in life. Now golf, like no other sport that I know, is based on integrity of thoughts, actions, and behavior. Now we all know, we're all aware that Santa Claus knows who's been naughty or not, not naughty or not, and nice. But in golf, it's very clear that you can be in the woods and nobody's watching. What do you do now? You've lost the golf ball. Nobody knows you've lost the golf ball. You just drop one and go on. Well, I don't know if you're naughty or nice, but you do. And that's the most important thing. In golf, every swing has a consequence. Every one of them. It's not like the Rangers baseball. <laughs> Definitely not like the Rangers baseball the last three times. But every swing has a consequence. But when we learn to accept the outcome of every one of those swings, whether really good, really bad, or indifferent, our mind is at peace. We've accepted it. And now we're ready in this moment of peace to make the, to make the next best decision possible. When we're stuck in fear, when we're trying to do something different, we don't make great decisions. But golf, you see, is about managing our misses. Life, in fact, is about managing our misses. Nothing's perfect. Also, when we make decisions on the golf course or life out of anger or frustration or fear, we almost always make a poor decision. From my personal perspective and experience, that has definitely been the case. Many times in my life, I've gotten really upset, really excited about stuff, and foolishly stepped forward with a great decision. And it wasn't a very great decision. It turned out to be, it turned out to add more, more disaster to the, to the consequence. Golf tests us. It teaches us, challenges us, and pushes us to be the best that we can. That's what life is about and should be about when we take it for the positive results that we're looking for. Now, lots of people have actually spoken about golf throughout history, and I'm sure you've heard of this. Mark Twain, and it's perhaps Oscar Wilde, there's a, not, there's a confusion about who said this, said that golf is a good walk spoiled. <laughs> when you're playing great, it's a great walk, but when you're playing really poorly, it is definitely a good walk spoiled. Winston Churchill said, golf is a game whose aim is to hit a very small ball, ball into an even smaller hole with weapons singularly ill-designed for the purpose. <laughs> and I have my clubs in the truck and they're definitely ill-designed for the purpose. 
Billy Graham. Billy Graham said, golf can turn an extrovert into an introvert and an introvert into an extrovert. And he said, for me, a golf course is an island of peace in a world often full of confusion and turmoil. And I will say personally, I've experienced that many times, many, many times. Jack Nicklaus, <clears throat> the man that I think is the greatest golfer of all time, <clears throat> had a list of things that he thought were important to golf. He said, believe in yourself. Never, ever get up. Never, ever get up. Never, ever give up, no matter the situation. Talent only goes so far. That's really true. Always think of the positives. Life lessons are learned playing golf, and it's all about trust. It's all about trust. So I've decided to use some of the things that Jack has listed there to talk more deeply into some of this. So uh, the next slide, Perry. First thing he suggested is to believe in ourselves. Well, that's a much, much easier than it actually is, isn't it? Because so much of the time, we really don't believe in ourselves. I think I've spent a great deal of my life pretending, even though I was relatively successful early on in my life, I think I spent a lot of time pretending because inside, I felt, think I was like a duck, smooth on the water, but the feet going like crazy under, underneath. And that's how my life felt. I knew something was missing. I knew I had a hole in my heart, but I didn't know anything about it. I was not, uh, I had not gone through any personal transformations in my life. I was just putting one foot after the other, kind of going around in circles in some respects. Now, we hear people say that thoughts are creative and that thoughts create our reality. Probably heard that statement. But nobody ever said that our reality was true. It is our perspective of life. And if you look around today in, in politics and the world, you can see that everybody has a different reality. But they're not the same. They're not the same at all. So the question is, is our, is our reality real? Does it mean anything? And earlier in my life, it definitely was not, and I didn't know why. Now, let me talk to you about this from, from my pers perspective and from my own experience, because I think it'll be an example of what I'm really talking about. Um, when I was raised, um, maybe the first four or five years of my life, as I remember and feel, sounded or felt normal and good and loved. But then something shifted in my family. Um, first of all, I had an, had an older sister who I think her, her whole being in life was to tease her younger brother. <laughs> Constantly tease me. The only problem with that is that in my family, there was only one punishment available if you got out of line, and that was to be spanked or literally beaten. Uh, my mother was an emotionally mess, an emotional mess. She was the most fearful person I have ever known in my entire life. And she had no coping skills. Those are not good things mixed together. No coping skills at all. So her normal experience with me was when I got out of line or when I eventually got tired of being teased by my sister and took direct action, which, which I did occasionally, um, she would send my sister to a room and she would spank me. 
Now, my mother could just get kind of crazy. So her normal thing was to grab the hairbrush off of the dresser and literally just hit the back of my shoulders until she kind of got tired and quit. That's what life was like there. My father was a great role model. He was a, a rageaholic, and he was a ticking time bomb. And you were never safe when my dad was home, never. Um, so it wasn't bad enough that my mother did that, because, I, okay, I did something she didn't like and didn't appreciate. I got, I got a whipping. I'm good with that. But my dad was kind of a traveling salesman and was gone a lot, maybe a week to two weeks at a time. And so I'd already been punished for everything I'd done wrong consistently and continuously, apparently. And, but when my dad came home, I think my mother must have learned that if he could turn, she could turn his anger to me instead of her, it would be a better life for her. I think that's exactly what she was doing. So she would, she would come home, and, and they, they, were, they were two people who were never meant to be together. They, they just were, you know, even as a young child, I could see that my parents did not belong together. They were just miserable, and it was very loud and semi-violent. So when my, my dad would come home from these trips, they would almost immediately get into a big argument and a fight, and she would kind of say, but you don't know what it's like being here in this house with that kid, that kid. And so he would get incensed, and when my dad got over the edge, it was not good. You, I always knew how bad it was going to get because my, my dad's eyes started flickering. It was really weird. Uh, but if that happened, I knew it was not going to end well. So he would take me upstairs. I mean, it's like clockwork every time he came home. So my mother betrayed me, and she didn't need to, but my father responded the way he always did and took me upstairs and got his giant leather belt out and literally hit me until he got tired. Now that might have been okay, except my dad was a world-class athlete. Uh, he was a football player and he was a Golden Gloves, heavyweight Golden Gloves boxing champion of the four Eastern states. Well, that's not the guy you want to get upset with you about because he didn't know how to stop. So. When that happens to you, and I'm sure a lot of people in this room have experienced similar things, there's a price to pay. And you grow up not knowing whose voice you're hearing inside. You grow up thinking something's wrong with you, but that there's a hollow place in you, but you just don't know. Now, in my previous marriage, let me just take a little sip here. So when, that's, when that goes on in your life, you tend not to make great decisions, even though you don't know you're not making great decisions. So I um, ended up getting married in college, having children, which was a great blessing, is a great blessing to me. But it wasn't a good marriage. It turns out that that relationship should have never been together. Who would have thought, right? Same exact situation my parents had, I created and hear that. I created. There's no question about that. I created. So, fortunately, they say the teacher comes when you're ready. And at the end of that relationship, um, 
it kind of drove me down and I finally realized something had to change. And I began to ask myself, what is it within me that would cause this? Now, when I say that, let me be very, very clear. I'm saying, what is it in, within me that I created? My parents were my parents. That was their thoughts, their stuff. I did not create that. None of us create that. But after that, I'm responsible. Whatever I think, whatever I do, whatever my behavior is, I'm responsible for what I created. But I was unaware of what I was creating, completely unaware. But at that moment, really, I think by a miracle in a way, um, Unity Church came into my life. I had been an agnostic most of my life. I just simply never had a, a, a definition of God that I could believe in. And I was an agnostic since I was about 10 years old. But when I was 40, I had a quite remarkable spiritual experience and that changed and it led me directly to a Unity Church. Now, whatever this is out here that we connect with knows what you need. We know what you need. I think it comes from within us. We always want to heal ourselves and we already know what we need, but we're not aware of it or consciousness, conscious of it enough to do that. The first Unity Church that I went to, the minister there was a personal transformation genius. And that is what I needed more than anything in the world. I didn't know anything about it. I'd never experienced that before. And I began to work with him personally together in group sessions and breath work. I put myself at risk, and I usually use that term, because I knew I was going to have to feel these emotions that I didn't want to feel. Now, when my dad was hitting me, um, I made a conscious choice never to cry, ever. I wasn't going to give in. I wasn't going to show him that he had power over me. But as I went into this work, I learned how to cry because this stuff came up and out and up and out like crazy. And eventually, what I found inside that little boy was a little boy inside of me still who believed he was unlovable, unwanted, and not good enough. That was what I truly believed in myself. That was the hole in my heart, and I didn't know it. Now, the great news about that is that once you identify that and you really understand it and you realize it wasn't you and it isn't you and it is an illusion that you've been living with forever, you can change your mind. You can stop believing in this insanity that's inside of you and you can change your mind. Now, in the book of John, actually, chapter 8, verse 32, it really kind of talks about this. Um, and it says, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Now, Jesus was, according to the author of the book of John, was, was speaking to uh, Jewish people who were loyal to him. And they answered him, we are descendants of Abraham and have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean by saying you will be made free? Jesus answered them, very truly, I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. Now, no, that's not the, normally when we hear that word, we get all kind of weirded out. But sin in those days in the Jewish, in the Hebrew language, 
<clears throat> excuse me, is the word kata. Kata means to fail or to miss the mark. The word sin is actually an archery term that was used and it was converted to, to, to mean something else. So what that's really saying is that I was committing this sin because I was believing in the illusion that I was not good enough, that I was unlovable, unwanted, and not good enough. That was the mistake that I was making, the mistake that I was making, and I had become a slave to it. That's what that means. That's what it, that's telling us. When we have a wrong identity about ourselves <clears throat> and we allow ourselves to believe that's truly us, then we go in the wrong way. But Jesus knew that because he said, when you know the truth of who you are inside, the truth will make you free. So my friends, when we, uh, we have a choice, we need to always think about the fact that we can never let someone outside of us define us. But we do it all the time. We just do it all the time. But that's a mistake because we, became, we become a slave to that mistake. And we are only missing the mark again. So no one can define us, actually, unless we give them permission to do it. People can say whatever they want to towards us, about us, whatever. But it only matters if we give them permission. Because without permission, we have shielded ourselves from that false illusion that people still believe, us, believe about us. It's long past time to say no. <clears throat> so I'm just going to really, we've talked about some of this, but never give up no matter what. Um, it's so funny how we tend to snatch failure out of the jaws of victory, don't we? I mean, that's really what we do. We get right up to the edge and we think we've got it. We know we want it, but then we get scared. Then we think we're not good enough. Then we back away. So we just grab that failure right out of the jaws of victory. That is unnecessary. We, can, we, can bet, we are better than that. Talent only gets, gets us so far. I can say that I've seen in, in my, I played everything when I was younger, but what I saw was that people who had far more talent, talent than me didn't have the will, didn't have the desire. They had all the ability in the world, in every field that's true. They have all the ability in the world, but they don't want to use it. I don't know whether they're afraid, maybe they don't really believe in their, in their talent, and that could very well be true. So always use your talent to the best of the ability and believe in yourself for sure. Of course, I always think about positive. I think positive, positive thoughts, I believe, create positive outcomes. And I think somehow the universe rewards us when we live in a positive world. If we run around being negative all the time, what do we create? We create negative outcomes. And we create, even worse, we attract negative outcomes to us. And usually negative people to us. And that is of no value to us. So stay positive all the time. Now, Jack, Nick, Jack Nicholas is interesting because I read an article about him once. And he said he never missed a putt. Never missed a putt. I've missed quite a few putts. But what Jack was saying was he got clear about his intentions. 
and he got clear about what he was going to do and he got clear about where that putt was going to go. And if that putt did exactly what he wanted, he didn't miss it. He hit a perfect putt. It just didn't happen to go in the hole. And that's a great way to think about it. <laughs> Makes all those missed putts sound better. Life lessons. We have to hurry a little bit. I'll just talk about one thing here to, to speed this up. But I, I was playing here recently, um, actually a couple of months ago, actually, and I've seen this situation happen so many times. But uh, one of my playing partners, we were in cards, drives up to the tee box, which is where you start every golf hole. And he, by the time he, he wasn't even out of his cart, and he was telling anybody who would listen how this was the worst hole he ever plays. He never hits a good drive here. I always hit it in the lake on the right-hand side. I never play this hole. I hate this hole. Well, how are you ever going to be successful? I mean, he was programming. Our mind doesn't know. He was programming his mind to intentionally miss the shot. And I watched him get up on the tee box, and he put the worst golf swing he had used all day long on that hole. He had to. He had already programmed his mind to be exactly what he wanted. So thought is creative. It's creative in a really, really big way. And finally, it's about trust. I view that as faith, actually. And my experience, uh, to become a unity minister, you have to study the Bible a lot. You have six 10-week courses that you spend 60 weeks studying the Bible plus other stuff, plus other manuals, plus other books, uh, which was wonderful because they teach the background, the history, the culture. You get to understand really what's in there. And when you know the, the, the culture and what's really going on, uh, originally I would have thought that the, the Hebrew armies were invincible. They were powerful. They were big. But the truth is that's not the case. The Hebrew tribes were a very small group of people surrounded by the two biggest civilizations in the world. And they had no chance. There was never any chance. And that's why you see almost all the stories in the Bible are really about have faith. Have faith that there will be a better day. Have faith that the, the sun's going to shine tomorrow. And that is so important to stay in that positive mode. So, my friends, never give up. Always be perseverant. Always stay positive. Believe in your authentic self. Find it, seek it, look for it. Believe in your authentic self and have faith that there will always be a better day. God bless. Thanks so much. Let's take these thoughts into meditation. To close your eyes and begin to relax your body and your face and your scalp and your head and everything. Just relax into the chair and as you do, take a really deep breath so we can slow this down just a little bit. And take another deep breath. And as you do, feel yourself going deeper and deeper in the truth of who you are deeper and deeper into the truth of who you are. 
and begin to ask yourself that a very important question. What is it within me that has created the events of my life that I have created? What thoughts do I hold within my heart and my soul that have not been supportive of me, that have led me astray? Let's go deeper and deeper into those thoughts. They may be difficult. But go deeper and deeper into that and just allow yourselves to have any of those thoughts come up within you right now. But notice now that as, as they come up and may come up through the rest of the week, embrace them. Don't run from them. They are your way out. They will lead you to the light. Embrace them and love, them, love that part of you because it is a part of you. And the more you love it, it will be at peace and will no longer affect your life in any kind of negative way. Know that there is always a new day, always a new moment, always a cherished experience in your life just waiting around the corner when we have faith and belief that this is going to happen. Stay in this for just a few seconds now in the silence. Now, my friends, as you begin to come back to the room, know that this is just the first step. This is just the first step for many of us to go inside and feel what's really happening and to begin to heal. There is an intrinsic need and desire within us all to heal our hearts. And it is possible. We can always make another choice. And we will make another choice. As we go through this day, through this week, there's definitely a new day. Have faith. Believe in yourselves and learn who you really are inside and you will be at peace. Thank you very much. Kay's going to lead us in another phenomenal song. Now is the time for the giving and receiving of gifts. So if you will say our offertory affirmation, divine 